Hello, my name is Andy Morgan, and welcome to another episode of the RipBody.com podcast. When I first got my my personal training certifications in the mid '90s, it just pretty much sealed it for me that you know I want to be on that stage and I want to be teaching these hungry, passionate students about fitness, training, nutrition, the integration of that, you know, sports nutrition, all that stuff. That's sports nutritionist and researcher Alan Aragon. In this interview, Alan shares stories of his career journey, the failures he has had along the way, and advice for those looking to build a career in the fitness industry. I also take the opportunity to get Alan's take on the recent HMB study, which personally to me screams dodgy data and industry shenanigans. Alan, you're here, is uh, far more diplomatic. Um, this is the first time that Alan has talked to this extent about his career in a podcast. Uh, this is something I've been wanting to capture on audio since I heard him talk about it last year at a conference in the States because, frankly, I think it's important for people to hear. We're both really pleased with how it came out, and I hope you enjoy this rather unique interview with my friend, Alan Aragon. Alan, thank you for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. Andy, I really appreciate it right back, dude. It is a pleasure to be on, and thanks for inviting me. I value our friendship. Um, You are someone that gave me permission internally um, to get into the industry because I saw you and I thought, yes, this profession can be legit. So thank you. And that's Dude, just, mm. it means so much to hear something of that magnitude because we go into this industry initially trying to make ends meet, try to get a client or two, and then trying to keep it going. But when you get to a point where you really want to make a profound impact and you want to change lives, and then you actually see it happen and you see your influence shape careers and launch careers and just take things to other levels, then it's extremely gratifying beyond what I can actually express or describe. So, you know, I'm glad to hear that, Andrew. You put a post up um, a couple of weeks ago and you were talking to people about how when they look at you now, you're successful, but this misses all of the failures along the way. Um, And you put up a graphic where actually your career has been fail, 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 fail on your way to success. Um, And that really resonated with people. And I want to read actually something that you wrote there. Um, you said, uh, the take home, I knew what I wanted to accomplish. So I did the work, took the risks, made the mistakes, felt many doors slam in my face and tasted defeat many times until I was able to taste victory. It took me only, only 13 years to build a stellar speaking career. And at least half of that time was without the power of the internet. To those of you out there, whether you're my students or peers thinking of doing the same or similar, many of you are more crafty clever and most importantly even ballsier than i just get started on that big idea you've been sitting on and worrying about whether it will fail rather than worrying about whether it will fail or succeed it doesn't matter what crazy idea you've been harboring and then you go in to talk about your research review and your 
dip into the career. Now, this resonated with a lot of people. Um, and I think it's it's an important post um, because it shows people that it's it's not just a clear run to the top. And I wanted to talk to you about this today, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it, man. The, the story, how did you actually get into the industry? I got into the industry by first starting off on the wrong foot, <laughs> right from the very get-go. So I've always been interested in health and fitness, but back in the late 1980s, uh, when I was almost getting done with, with high school and starting college, fitness was really just relegated to people who had a product to sell on late night infomercials, you know, like the gazelle freestyle from Tony Little or, you know, some <laughs> obscure <laughs> supplement here and there. Hmm. And so actually having a career helping other human beings get in shape, like the career of personal training as we know it now, that really did not exist as a career. There were just few people here and there in, you know, these kind of remote pockets of the world like Venice, California, doing it. But it was really an obscure type of career that was very far from being uh, an established career path. So um, back in the, like I said, the late 80s, early 90s, I started off as as an art major and not an art major, but a graphic design major because my parents didn't want me to be a starving painter on the side of the the road, you know. Hmm. So um, I spent a year and a half in that art major, basically hating it. And then for one reason or another, I got in contact with wise counsel from one of my art teachers who basically pushed me in the direction of nutrition or exercise. And so I chose nutrition because at the time uh, there was a couple of personal training certifications that were available. There was the NASM certification and there was the NSCA and then a little bit less on the radar was the ACSM. Uh, I was pushed towards the NASM at the time so that's what mm-hmm. I did I got my I got my certification from them and uh, I had already dove into personal training just friends and individuals who, who needed help and I started doing that on a part-time basis and I actually trained people out of uh, the the apartment gym <laughs> at the time it was really just one of those one of those crazy things where you you know you have a uh, an interest in something, a passion um, towards something, and then you just kind of work with what you have. And when you're training people out of an an apartment gym with this minimal equipment, uh, you sort of, as long as you see the light at the end of the tunnel and where this might end up, you don't mind being on that crappy equipment for a while, and you don't mind the uh, lack of privacy and all of that stuff. So, um, to kind of make a, a really uh, long story short, that's that's how I started. I started in the fitness industry by getting started on the wrong foot in the wrong industry and realizing that I wasn't happy with it. When you say the wrong foot, what do you mean by that? Well, I knew from the start that I had an intense interest in 
fitness and health and training. Uh, but I decided to take the safe route that was advised to be to me by my parents who had no clue that I could possibly build a career in fitness or personal training. They didn't even know what the hell that was. They just, uh, I always make the joke about my mom saying, you're not going to be a bodybuilder. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, so, so kind of the, the old story goes, I, I didn't want to battle my parents while I was under their roof. So while I was in college, I just kind of played the game and figured, hey, you know what, I'll just I'll just grin and bear this 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 art major stuff, and then I'll I'll kind of uh, keep my my feelers out and my interests open to fitness. But it, it you know it got to a point where I just couldn't I couldn't take it anymore. And and so when you're asking how was it the wrong foot, the right foot in my opinion would have been to just begin diving in, doing what I wanted to exactly do. So in hindsight, I can kind of look back and say, well, maybe it was a blessing in disguise that I got some experience in an art major and in an area that I had a talent in, a natural talent in, but not a natural interest or passion in. You know, you know, you know these people who are naturally good at certain things, but they don't give a shit about it. Yep. Uh, that's kind of what my story was with with art. I actually enjoyed music. I mean, there was a time when, uh, well, I, I still occasionally do music as well, but um, there was a time when I, I did a lot of, of playing out and gigging with a rock band and a bunch of other stuff like that. Uh, that, that would have been enjoyable. In, in another life, I perhaps would have either went into music or um, stand-up comedy or something. I, I love that stuff, you know, but um, but I really was not interested in the major I was in, which was graphic design. Uh, it was just sort of the safety net that would protect me from what I actually was interested in, which was fitness, which at the time, mm, no real established career path for that. It just didn't exist. And it's been, you know, I've, I've given this some thought. It's really interesting. I've been able to watch the personal training profession from its inception all the way to the present day, which is roughly 25-ish years or so. And it's really interesting. The difference between getting into a profession that's been established for hundreds of years versus watching a profession be born and then evolve step by step and then you get to see these various different uh evolutions and even uh revolutions you know if you will mm. uh towards the present day with things being online based and uh starting your own schools uh doing all kinds of stuff that um people in the fitness industry back in the early 90s and late 80s would never even dream would have been possible at that time. So, yeah. So hopefully I kind of answered your question about what, what I mean by the wrong foot. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And I think it's perfectly understandable. And I was interested um, in this stuff as well. But I ended up studying uh, banking and finance. Mm. And 
I studied uh, economics, banking, and finance because that was going to lead to a real job. And that led me to coming to my final year of university. And I've, I've gone and traveled around Southeast Asia as my second year of university. My, the first summer of university, I did some uh, voluntary work in India. And now I've got this travel bug and I know I don't want to sit in a bank. And I'm, I'm at a complete loss. And I was lost for five or six years. And I had a great time in Japan teaching English and doing the martial arts. But um, yeah, it, it's, it can be tough when you don't think that a career is legit. And so now we have role models um, like yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's it's strange. Like it's not in in our British culture to speak kindly of friends. Break <laughs> each other's balls. <laughs> um, but but yeah, you're you're a role model now. So people coming in, they can look at you, and they can see that you've been successful. And we've talked about this in person before. We talked about it last year at the fitness yeah. summit. Um, and that's yeah. important because you're you're showing the way for people. Well, I tell you what, man, I got a really big ego boost when I was on a on a conference tour and Eric Helms was was with me. It was just me and him um, just, you know, at, at hanging out in the airport and, and talking about our careers, talking about life and stuff. And uh, he mentioned that um, he remembers like 10-ish years back when he was more of like a student type figure uh following the work of myself and guys like Lyle McDonald and um and I told him that you know I re I remember that back on the bodybuilding.com forums where he was just one of these guys who stood out as one of these really sharp guys but you know he was a student of the game and then you fast forward 10 years and he's more of a teacher figure now um and you know what he? I told him, dude, that that's awesome because what you did in the span of you know less than ten years, it took me like over twenty years to do. And the way that he answered me was really a huge ego boost. And he said, well, you know what? You pretty much made it much easier for guys like me to come up at twice the speed that you did because you did a lot of the trailblazing for that. Mm. And I was like, damn, all right, <laughs> I'll take that. It's very true. Um, so now you have a, research, a monthly research review, um, which everyone subscribes to. People, industry insiders, registered dietitians, but also people who are just really, really interested in their training, in their nutrition. Um, you you do research now. You're you're a legit, you're a legit researcher, man. Right? You. Your PubMed. The one PubMed paper is the easily the most access of any of all time, right? Yes. Which is incredible. Um, So looking like where you are now, it's very easy for people to look at that and see the success. Um, But back when you were training out of your, um, you said your apartment gym, you talked about seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. But at that time, what was the light at the end of the tunnel for you? Because it couldn't have been 
I'm going to be <laughs> I'm going to be a researcher. I'm going to have my own re monthly research review. What was that? <laughs> Dude, I tell you what, man. Uh, I saw. I, I I've always been interested in speakers, whether it be. Uh, and it almost doesn't matter what what venue or what industry we're talking about. I've always been interested in in the the ability to capture a live audience and connect with them and kind of elevate them somehow. And so, like I mentioned earlier, even even in in stand up comedy, that that's just I think that is such an incredible skill that the successful stand-up guys have yeah. in the way that they capture the audience and move them um i mean you know i i, I spend a, a good amount of time watching guys like jim gaffigan cat williams uh and then back in the day eddie murphy mm. and even richard Pryor, even before that uh, uh and then you know you got louis ck now and um, of course, uh, I I, <laughs> I recently started watching Joe Rogan uh, because of the uh, relatively recent invite I got to to get on his podcast, and uh, that's kind of another story unto itself. <laughs> if we uh, want to uh, go, <laughs> have you done that yet? Uh, is that I haven't done it yet. Well, when well, congratulations, when man, because that's. I don't listen to his podcast because the first five minutes of adverts upset me. Um, but, but no, that, that's great because that's going to get you out in front of a lot of people. That's good. Uh, well, you know what? Um, I was really impressed when, when I saw Joe's latest stand-up. Um, I don't know if it's his latest latest, but it's off of a, um, an album called Triggered or I think it's what it's called, like the, the tour or okay. the name of the, the latest round of... You know, the latest tour is called Triggered, and I, w I was quite impressed at, at his delivery and just how he's able to legitly, you know, stand up with the with the top guys in in the industry and the way that he holds the audience. Um, but yeah, when, when I was invited onto Joe Rogan's podcast by uh, boy, I'm trying to remember the guy's first name. Last name is Staggs. He's um, I could probably find it for you right now since I'm in front of my computer and I'm OCD. Yeah. Uh, Matt Staggs emailed me in, uh, in June of, let me see, was it, was it the first? No, 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 no. Yeah. Wait, wait, even further back, dude. Um, in, uh, in May of, of 2013 is when I got my first invite to speak on, uh, on Joe Rogan's podcast. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And, and what's, what happened then then? Well, shoot, man. My my speaking and research career really started taking off mm -hmm. uh, that year. And especially with traveling and speaking at conferences. Uh, 2013 was really kind of the, the breakout beginning of this uh, nonstop snowball of uh, speaking at conferences. Um, so... When when Matt invited me to be on the the Joe Rogan podcast, uh, I just was unavailable. You know, uh, during the dates that they they threw at me, I couldn't make it. And so, well, apparently over the last four years, we've been both unavailable. Um, but 
I, uh, Gary Taubes was recently on Joe Joe's podcast. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. No. He was. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so ever since uh, Taubes was on his podcast, I've gotten <laughs> dozens and dozens of emails from just just various people who follow my work and don't follow my work. It just everybody and their mother emailed me and said, hey, man, why don't you get on the podcast? And I said, well, I've been trying to, but nobody, you know, we, we've never been able to sync up our schedules. And so after another three days of badgering, uh, email badgering from everybody on the planet, it seemed, I finally got back to Matt and I said, hey, this is when I'm available. Uh, I heard Gary Taubes was on the podcast and did his whole shtick of, you know, sugar, insulin, evil, bad, carbs, evil, all that crap. Uh, so, you know, this is when I'm available. And so I haven't heard back. So I would imagine it, you know, people, I, I'm sure Joe calls the shots ultimately about who he wants on the podcast and who he doesn't. And, uh, you know, kind of ball, the ball's in their court, man. It ain't in my court no more. And so I would happy to, I would be happy to get on there and straighten some stuff out. But uh, okay. we just have to see. Well, well we're going to fix that up for you. Uh, your Twitter handle is the Alan Aragon. Is that right? Yes. Okay, so everyone listening right now, I want you to go to Twitter. I want you to at Joe Rogan and say, can't wait for you to get at the Alan Aragon on the podcast. <laughs> right? Everyone, go ahead and do that. Uh, and then... And then we play the game of seeing whether our schedules sync up. Because Joe travels a lot, uh, I would imagine, more than the average bear because of his announcing gigs for the UFC. So I, I think that, that that's kind of been an issue. If he was just a normal guy sitting on his ass and not traveling, I'm pretty sure I would have been on his podcast a long time ago. So. All right. So, well. yes. So, so you, you asked me about the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. So I had attended, uh, well, uh, even aside from attending conferences, when I first got my my personal training certifications in the mid-90s, it just pretty much sealed it for me that, you know, I want to be on that stage and I want to be teaching these hungry, passionate students about fitness training, nutrition, the integration of that, you know, sports nutrition, all that stuff, supplementation, all of that stuff. So when I was in the audience uh, getting my certifications and watching guys like Tom Purvis speak and even uh, Lenny Parasino at the time, Mitch Simon uh, and Neil Spruce, these are guys that nobody knows those names because, you know, they were kind of out there in the public eye back in the mid-90s. But... Um, Tom Purvis used to be the head of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Neil Spruce used to be the, he used to own NASM, I think, at one point, and then it turned into Apex, uh, Apex Fitness. And uh, in any case, I was so moved by the way that these teachers were able to um, just ignite all kinds of, uh, all kinds of gains, you know, in, in the audience and um, all kinds of knowledge. Uh, I wanted to be able to be in, in their shoes and do that one day. 
Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my light at the end of the tunnel was I wanted to be teaching live audiences at conferences uh, in that sort of capacity with that sort of energy in the room. And uh, it was almost like, you know, like being at, at, at like at, like church or something like that, you know. So uh, that, that, that was my light at the end of the tunnel. I was training people, but I, I ultimately I wanted to gain the experience so I could um, so I could kind of deliver or or hand off that that information and that wisdom to students and so I was able to do that in in good time you know in, in the right timing I was able to get almost 20 years uh, down the hatch with actually you know what if I started in 1992 then I did get get um more than more than 20 years ish about 20 years down the hatch uh before i started really kind of picking up my stride with delivering information at conferences and stuff like that so so yeah so that this became an outlet for your creative energies as well um the, the the speaking it was not just imparting the information it was the craft of doing that as well i guess yeah, it, because there's a whole re-research process with when you give presentations, they always have to be updated. Uh, and so you're sort of cornered into getting back to the chalkboard and the drawing board and seeing, okay, is the information I'm presenting, is it the best and most current uh, and most practical information that I could possibly deliver? And so there's always that challenge. And uh, it, it definitely is a, a creative process because if you're like me, you're never satisfied with, with your work. <laughs> you always want to try to make it better. And if the, the minute you get satisfied, it's kind of the minute you start getting bored. And, you know, I, I, I hopefully will never get to that point. It's, it's so true. It's so true. Like everyone I get to speak to, and I'm, I'm fortunate. I've been very fortunate to speak to a lot of people who are, um, they just excel. They're at the top, top, top of their field. They're all hungry. They're all still hungry and they're all still humble. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of like, you know, the the whole cliche of the people who are doing the best at what they're doing are the guys who are really enjoying it. So I I, I truly, I, I really believe in that cliche. You know, the minute you start not enjoying something, you have to take a step back, take a hard look at whether you need to be doing something else. Yeah. You said that you wanted to impart the information. You wanted to be able to speak so that you could deliver the wisdom. Um, Was that part of your drive, fighting um, fighting the industry bullshit? Man, this is the best, well, uh, in my biased opinion, the world of fitness and nutrition is perfect for keeping you passionate because there's a lot of misinformation that just automatically lights you up and makes you just, it just lights a fire under you for, to, to just get out there and say, okay, this is incorrect. And here is what the science-based or you know fact-based 
uh, information is uh, so you can actually help yourself and minimize the risk of harming yourself or wasting time or wasting money or all of the above. And so it's extremely gratifying to know that in this day and age, you can help people and not just debunk stuff. You can actually help folks and you can actually have a scientific basis for, uh, in so many ways, battling the bullshit. So it, it is a great, it's fun and it's fun to do that too. And it, it's definitely challenging a lot of the time to do that. So that really gets me in the flow. That really lights me up. And when people um, see the light and when people see for themselves that something has been wrong, like when people see that <laughs> somebody was wrong on the internet <laughs> and they see why, um, it's really gratifying. I've gotten a lot of feedback from followers, students, uh, fans, colleagues, uh, letting me know what bits of my information have changed their lives for the better, whether it be from a career standpoint, or whether it be from a competitive sports standpoint, whether it be a physique standpoint, whether it be just building confidence and becoming a more effective person in the world. Uh, getting that kind of feedback has confirmed for me that spending time wrestling with the bullshit artists and folks who either willingly or unwillingly put out misinformation has been a very worthwhile, very worthwhile journey. You started doing this um, 50, 10 years ago, was it? Was it 12 years ago in online forums? This was yeah, really yeah. the start of your journey to being known outside of LA is, is that fair to say yes yes the timeline is is like this I uh, started personal training in 1992 and I went through a 10-year stint of, of almost exclusively personal training until about 2002 and so from 2002 uh, to 2012 is when I was mostly involved with nutritional counseling. And from 2012 to the present day is when I've been mostly involved with research and writing and teaching. So my online career really kind of began, had its very beginnings in, in 2002, and I really started kind of picking up speed in 2005, 2006 when I started becoming more involved with the bodybuilding forums and I became a moderator uh, uh, at the bodybuilding.com forums, which is a really interesting volunteer work when, when you have to moderate the MISC and you know various, <laughs> various troll forums like that. You kind of gain some chops and you gain some thick skin and of course you gain a lot of viruses in your computer as well. <laughs> How did you... So bodybuilding.com, of course their end goal is to put out... It's to sell supplements, basically. And yeah. so you've got um, some good articles on there and you've got some misguided articles on there. And then you're a moderator kind of dispelling some of the myths that the articles on the site are putting out itself. How, how did that come about? Well, 
the thing you have to understand about bodybuilding.com is that the commercial side of it where you know you got the supplement store uh, is a whole different world, whole different universe from the forums. So the, the, the forums, whether it be the nutrition forum, the um, the MISC, uh, or, or the various other, other forums, those that world is on a completely different, if you were to think of it, think of it sort of like the east and west wing of the of the white house or something like that there there are completely different wings of Mm. the of the establishment so whatever goes on in the forums sort of stays there and whatever goes on in the articles page uh is a whole different realm they're very separated okay so just to clarify for people um you spent years answering questions in that forum for free helping people and then you were offered the moderator job does that sound fair yes i'm nominated uh from my my peers to have a moderator position and so that's how that happened and i did spend a lot of time uh from let's see i i joined the forums in 2003 and I became a moderator in like mid or late uh, 2005. So just a lot of late nights at the computer <laughs> is how that happened. And, and, and incidentally, that's how I got my idea to do the monthly research review because I, was, I found myself answering questions on the forums for eight hours a day and realizing, you know, there's a huge, huge demand for uh, valid for solid science-backed information. And so that's how I got the idea of, you know what, why don't I, instead of donating my entire day to um, <laughs> answering every day to answering these questions, why don't I do it in such a way where I would put even more effort into it and make it even better and then, who knows, maybe even start a, another um, page of my, my career over here. Fantastic. And now you can live off that. And so that, you set that up at the end of 2007, I believe, or was it 2008? You're exactly correct. I December 2007 was the first one, probably labeled January 2008, something like that? That's exactly correct. Yep. Yeah. And, and then you were invited to speak at the Fitness Summit. And yeah. you mm-hmm. killed it. And <laughs> then you just kept going back. And through force of personality, you then started getting inviting invited to different events and it rolled from there does that sound fair well there's an interesting story on how that really happened and i it, it all really started with me messaging brad schoenfeld on the bodybuilding.com forums and asking him if i may pick apart his review paper on fasted cardio so he got back to me right away. He sent me the paper. He said, go for it. This is how we keep science honest. You know, go ahead and tear it. He's basically saying, okay, go go for it. Tear it apart. Love that. And so, love that. Yeah. If someone comes absolutely. to my work and says, I want to go through this and pick it apart, I would absolutely love that because it's only going to help me improve it. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, that's that's how scientists think. You know, scientists are always trying to see where they're wrong, see how they can be, in quotes, see how their work can be falsified. Well. Because – not all, if you not all of them. If, well, yeah. 
<laughs> we might get onto that. Uh, one, of, one of the notes I've got written down here is uh, one of the questions to ask. HMB, thoughts? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yes. But, yes, but yeah, anyway, yeah. I digress. Sorry. So you, you, you contacted uh, Brad Schoenfeld. He's on right. the board of the NSCA right now. Yes. Uh, and this was, I, I had no, I had no knowledge of, of who Brad was at the time. Um, apparently Brad is one of the one or two people in the entire industry who's actually older than me. So he was doing <laughs> stuff. Uh, <laughs> he was doing stuff um, before, gosh, he was doing stuff be- way before everyone. Um, I think the other guy who's older than me in the industry is La McDonald. But anyway, um, Brad, uh, I contacted Brad through private message on bodybuilding.com, asked him for the paper. He sent me the paper. He was totally open to me picking it apart in my research review. This was in March of 2011. And it, it, as you can imagine, um, you know I, I, you know my work, dude. I, I'm, I'm really OCD. I, I just – I went through all of his references and I went through every little hyphen, comma, semicolon, everything like that. And so he – was impressed with my ability to critically analyze that narrative review that he did on fasted cardio. Mm. And this was back in 2011. And so uh, right around 2012-ish, he invited me to write a paper with him, the paper called Nutrient Timing Revisited. Mm. And so we wrote that paper together, and then it got published in, I think, 2013. And uh, also right around 2013, uh, Brad invited me to speak at the NSCA Personal Trainer Conference and speak about the paleo diet. This this was back in 2013. And so that was really kind of the beginning of my speaking career at conferences, and it was rooted in me messaging Brad Schoenfeld on bodybuilding.com asking to, if I can pick apart his paper. That's honest to God how my academic speaking career started, and that's how my um, actually, my research, my, my primary research career started was picking apart Brad's paper. Fantastic. That's, that's how. I- Fantastic. And and this is something that I would say to. I'm I'm very fortunate that I have a friend base in my indu- in 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 our industry that punches way above my weight. Um. So like you're a couple of leagues or several leagues above me. Um, and, and yet we're friends. And if I try and think about how that came about, uh, how most of my connections came about, it was through reaching out and thinking, what can I do to help this person? Because yeah. I want to help this person, not because I want to help them, make them feel that they owe me something, and then maybe they'll help me, right? It was genuinely wanting to help. And it's Interesting. I didn't know that about Brad Schoenfeld, but you reached out, and in a way, yes. you, you wanted to help, and that's what led to, well, the biggest um, turning point in your career. Yes, yes, and I, I want to say another thing too. Um, I actually wasn't initially invited to speak at the fitness summit in I think it was two thousand eight or something like that. Two thousand eight. Yeah, uh, I actually messaged. Uh, Jean-Paul Francoeur, um, JP, I, I messaged JP through his, through his forum, JP fitness forums and tried to sell him on the idea of letting me speak at his conference. And so, uh, now in, at, in May, it'll be my 10th consecutive year speaking for that, 
conference as well. So I, I have to say that my uh, my academic conference career as well as the scientific research career started for me messaging Brad Schoenfeld on bodybuilding.com and my, I guess, my non-academic uh, speaking career or my less academic, a bit more, I don't know what to call it, uh, less formally academic speaking career started um, when I messaged JP on his forums. So it was about me knocking on these doors, you know, in, in a digital sense, but, but yeah. you know, so yeah, that's, that, that's kind of an important lesson, I think. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, this is just one thing, I'll say it again. Just think about what you can do for other people first. And you're not going to go far wrong. But make sure it comes from a genuine place. And I think you reached out and said, I'll speak for free at this conference. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. That's right. I mean, people are scared to work for free. I think people that they want. I, I mean, I fly to this conference and I have done. This will be my fifth year, maybe sixth year. I'm mm -hmm. flying in. I'm flying Ken in from Japan. Um, so I'm flying in from Japan. I'm flying Naoto in from Canada. Um, I've got James Clear to come. I'm getting um, uh, Steve Hall is going to fly over from the UK as well. Danny Lennon. He's oh, Danny's going to be there. Yep, yep. Danny's going to be there. Um, I've confirmed with him twice now, and we've said it on this podcast, and you're excited for him to be there. Therefore, he now definitely has to come. <laughs> yeah, definitely, man. Dan Danny is making some, making some big moves now. You know, he's really he's doing some great work. He's a good, he's a good speaker. He's a sharp guy, and um, he's got a good heart. So um, it's very, it's great to see, and people can take inspiration from him and what he's done with his podcast. I think. Yep. I want to change gear a little bit. Um, I want to ask you, <laughs> possibly my favorite story. Um, I asked you once um, about the highlight of your career. This was, I think, three. Three years ago, I asked you. Yeah. And it was the day you got a phone call. Could you tell us about that? Well, phone call. Oh, goodness. actually, it was an email and then a phone an call. Email. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yep, I do. Yeah, I okay. do. I do. Yeah. Uh, it was an email. This, yeah. was actually, this was actually further back now. This was five years ago. This was in 2012 where I got an email from somebody named Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny because I saw the email and it, he literally titled the email Stone Cold Steve Austin. That was the title of the freaking email message. And I'm like thinking, what the hell is this? I almost didn't open it because, you know, you get get all kinds of emails. If an email is titled Stone Cold Steve Austin, you normally would think, OK, what spammer or crazy person or troll or Lord knows what somebody just you know wanting to sell me steroids from Bangladesh or something like that. What's going on here? <laughs> so I cracked open the email, and sure enough, it it, it seemed like Steve Austin uh, asking me um, to if if I'd be willing to work with him. And so at the time, uh, I had already put on my website that I'm not taking on any new clients. Book solid. Sorry. Um, but 
you know, in, in his email, he said, you know, could you give me a, could you give me a call and can we talk this over and can you make an exception and can you work with me? And so I was like, holy crap, this might actually be Steve Austin because he's asking me to give him a freaking call. And so sure enough, I called him and it was him. I quietly, you know, freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I ended up working with him on and off for two-ish, potentially three, at least two years uh, on and off after, after that um, initial contact. And the reason why that's so special is because number one, it's it's Steve Austin, and number two, he sought me out because I, I asked him who referred you to me, and he said, you know, I just did the digging myself. I went through, I did my own research, and I came down to the the decision that you were the guy, and that was huge for me because the other big names that I've worked with, uh, most of the time, it's by referral. But the fact that Stone Cold Steve Austin sought me out on his own volition and his own discretion and research was a big deal for me. That inspired seeing how you built your career off of answering questions online publicly is what is the approach that I took um, with my website and answering comments. I figured that if I get in there and answer absolutely every comment and try and be as helpful as possible, even when I see some questions that just make me want to facepalm and say, uh, you clearly didn't read the article, but I'll still answer um, very politely as you did and calmly. Um, I figured that that was the best way to go. Leave a trail of helpfulness so that when someone is looking for someone that clearly cares, they can see that immediately. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, and that's why Stone Cold. That's why uh, Steve came to you. I'm guessing he caught wind of a, a bunch of my discussions online. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you know, you have this this learning curve of how exactly to debate with somebody online without it becoming a knockdown, drag out, malicious kind of fight. Right. And, you know, you you have this learning curve, and and, and over. Gosh, over my my ten year span of arguing with people on the internet, you you reach a point. Uh, I've reached a point lately where I'm pretty good at not getting the person on the other end angry. You know, I'm 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 pretty good at actually maybe not necessarily getting them to listen, but actually getting them to behave civilly. And in ideal scenarios, the other person actually does begin to listen and does begin to uh, look into my work and actually becomes a a raving fan of mine after they've debated with me and I think that's an ideal scenario for you whenever you spend time in contact with somebody online um, yeah yeah you you don't want to make an enemy of course that's number one and and number two it's ideal if you can actually uh, make it into a positive thing so I think I've gotten better at doing that Um, and you know the whole arguing online concept that whole idea that has actually gotten me a, a couple of major speaking gigs. Like um, Brad Schoenfeld was privy to my my debating prowess online, <laughs> and so he was the one who set up my debate with Dr. Jeff Volek at the uh, I think it could have been the 2013 or 2014 NSCA Personal Trainers Conference. I had a formal debate with Jeff Volek. 
And then after that, I had a formal debate, I think it was 2015 or so, with, uh, with Gary Taubes at the uh, Epic Fitness Summit in, in the UK, the offshoot of the Body Power. So if I w- was under the impression that it's not okay to discuss or debate online, if I was under the impression that, oh, it's just a waste of time you know, to debate with people online, then I never would have gotten these epic speaking gigs and these tremendous doors open for me. So some people, they, if they don't like to debate online, good. Then stay. Then shut the fuck up and let the people who like to debate let them do it, because um, good things can come of that depending on where where you stand. I am not of the position that everybody needs to clam up and uh, not debate anyone online. Just keep keep your opinions to yourself. Don't ever disagree, and just keep your head down and just put out positive uh, stuff, agreeable stuff, and then move on with your life. That's not the way that I do things. Mm-hmm. And, th- and thank God, because it's worked out great for me. Yeah. Uh, like each to their own, right? Like you've got to do it the way that you want to do it. That's right. And this is exactly how you like to do things. And it's something that you're really good at. And, and obviously that's come through a craft over the years. Thank um, you. I think quite a lot of people, they're, they're scared. Like yeah. I couldn't jump in and do what you do. I'll speak for me. I'd be scared of jumping into a debate with most people. I don't know how knowledgeable they are. What if I let my side down? <laughs> what if I, you, you know, because it's like, wow, what was that study again? Ah, and I don't have Greg Knuckles whispering in my ear with his magic memory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> telling me all the data points and what year and... I don't I don't have that and uh yeah so everybody is where they're at along that spectrum of confidence about whether they want to argue with somebody online um I feel like after having done so much homework over the years and having uh done so much research over the years uh I really only jump in when I I'm confident enough that, okay, this person does not have the evidence basis correct behind the claims that they're making. And so I can pretty easily go in there and uh, show them what research they haven't seen. And once I do that, then it's kind of like game over type of thing, which is kind of nice because then they learn something. And on occasion, uh, I'll be presented some research that I haven't seen before and then I learned something. And as long as nobody gets emotional and mm. as long as people keep away from personal attacks and, and, and ego, then it, it can be a, a really, really great thing. Uh, one, of the, one of the really good examples of, of civil debate turning into something good was back in, I think it was, oh man, you know, the years that years eventually run together. But this must have been three or four years back when I had a debate with uh, Stu Phillips. Uh, He's a professor at McMaster's University. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Stu Phillips, he's one of the pioneering um, protein researchers in the field right after, you know, uh, Tarnopolsky and Lemon and uh, Atkinson, et cetera. After that generation of guys, then you've got uh, guys like Stu Phillips who really have been uh, and he's really one of the, the most prolific uh, researchers in, in the field. So I got into a debate with him a few years ago on Facebook. 
and we really kind of were going back and forth and it was quite heated and um you know but we we both kept we both kept our civility we neither neither of us took personal shots and we we're both arguing on the basis of of data and and not ego so what happened from that was i got to know Stu, and Stu got to know the kind of person i was in terms of my approach to science and research and we eventually ended up uh doing research projects together so i have one um i have a published letter with him that just got published it was a letter to the editor of the uh, nsca about a particular study on hmb and then uh <laughs> and then we've got uh we've got a uh, another research project that is going through peer review right now uh which is going to be um a pretty big project and uh, i i probably can't say all the details of it but it has to do with protein and it has to do with a lot of authors and uh it's exciting stuff man I, and i truly would not have gotten to know Stu had i not uh for lack of a better way of putting it, had i not argued with him on facebook so that's how those type of things happen for me brilliant um and you make a good point there i think the issue is the more you know the more you realize you don't know and then I think I see some things that I know are wrong, but then I don't know all of the individual research pieces behind it. So then I don't feel that I can debate. And so in that situation, I do, in your marvelous words, shut the fuck up. Um, however, there are some areas where I do know all of the research. So I guess I could jump in in those places as long as I do it in the right manner. So that's a very good point. Thank you for that. You mentioned uh, the HMB um, yeah. study. Um, and there's the official letter to the uh, to the editors. There's official the official letter to the NSCA, and then there's the yeah. draft letter to the NSCA. And thank you, Joseph Agu, uh, for publishing that on your Facebook and making that public because <laughs> this is the non-toned down version um, yeah. of the rather scathing criticism of. Uh, may, may I say the name? Yeah, yeah, sure. Screw it, and I'll put up the link on there of um, Lowry's um, uh, Lowry et al.'s recent study um, with <laughs> comparing uh, uh, doses of HMB um, mm -hmm. and twenty, thirty of your colleagues signed it. Can you tell us about? what happened here well there was a there was an hmb study i believe it was in 2014 with just a, a hmb fa 2014 or 2015 the, the actual year is escaping me uh and that study showed some spectacular lean mass gains in the face of apparent fat loss or at least no fat gain and that kind of freaked everybody out like what the hell just got published you know and so when this uh most recent one the 2016 publication of the hmb fa plus atp uh showing something along the lines of uh, 8.4 uh, kilograms gained in 12 weeks of, of lean body mass without fat mass gain fat mass um, loss i think it was yeah, uh, there was a percentage loss yeah. mm. 
of fat mass, but it's very difficult to tell uh, in absolute terms whether there was net fat loss because it wasn't uh, the the data wasn't reported in a clear way, and that was that was one of our issues. You know, we we're, we were kind of debating over well, how do we in, interpret this this data? Um, so so yeah, but just just the concept of uh, eight point five oh, was it eight point four kilograms of lean mass gain in twelve weeks with minimal fat gain to even possibly fat loss you're basically looking at uh, a product that's twice as effective as testosterone at least the 600 milligrams that that Bazin used on his untrained subjects uh, and then it's about twice as effective as the average rate of LBM gain from creatine. And so this naturally is going to raise eyebrows. And after the, the previous publication of just HMBFA, this was something that really kind of ignited Stu to contact all of his uh, colleagues in the sports nutrition realm and say, you know, we need to write a letter to the editor we need to do this legit and we need to pose some questions to Lowry et al. about their study. And so what we ended up doing, we ended up all pitching in uh, to this very, you know, this very large, large letter and we sent it into the NSCA and the way that and we came, came to find out that we were limited to the constraints of their uh, of their format, which was a 400 word maximum, dude, you can't even can't really say jack crap in in 400 words, and um, they want to. Why would they? Okay, so in which case, yes, I'm going to post up the full draft um, or link to um, Joseph's uh, Joseph Argo's uh, Facebook post so that you can you guys can read the full the full draft letter. Um, yeah. Because it's 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 laughable. It's 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 it's, it's anger inducing, and you're keeping it exceptionally calm, <laughs> which I know you said you would be self limiting. Um, but it 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 makes me irate, uh, like exceptionally exceptionally. So. <laughs> Sorry, I will shut up. Carry on. <laughs> well, it, it's it's one of those things where, hey man, this did 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 that that group of researchers find a product that really do, do, outdoes testosterone you know by by twofold in terms of lbm gains and does it and is the partitioning uh so spectacular that you don't get fat gains um you know even even in in, in bazin's work or bazin's work when they got half of the gain they also gained as much fat as they gained the lean lean mass as well. So, um, if if I'm remembering correctly, I I know that they did gain fat as mm. well as lean mass, mm. uh, and these were untrained subjects. So you know you're looking at trained subjects who are gaining exclusively lean mass and a shitload of it. Yeah, more than and when you say testosterone, you're not talking about eating some almonds and boosting your testosterone, um, because that's Anything within the regular uh, physiological range isn't going to have an impact. You're talking about steroids. You're talking Absolutely. about in injections of a good amount of testosterone. Yes, mm. yes. Mm -hmm. mm. That's what I'm talking about. And, and double that. 
and yeah, right, and double doubling that, and then <laughs> making cre- making creatine just look like like you're taking a multi or something. Huh. Now this is the, the the spirit of of research and doing research. A big part of it is peer review, and so the the spirit of peer review is to make everybody's work better and to make the work more honest and diligent. So, you know, we we all came into this project seeing it as a form of peer review. It's not to take Lowry et al. and say, these fucking crooks, check this out. Well, I don't know, maybe some people are thinking, maybe some people are thinking that, but, uh, but certainly, you know, the, the objective is not to crucify anybody, it's just to try to keep uh, some checks and balances and just keep we as a group, as a field, just keep it honest. Um, sure, you know. you're right. It looks really bad, though. It looks like someone's taken a bung here, and from the supplement industry, like it looks ridiculous. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, I do. I need to edit that out. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, and I'm not trying to spark some shit. But that's, you know, the the best we can do as researchers is to just kind of uh stay above the fray i know that um i think uh colin wilburn is going to do a just try to replicate um the the design see what results they come up with yeah that's the best thing that can be done um right yeah right because Mm. because replication it strengthens uh, and it strengthens our confidence in any given uh, set of results from from studies that a lot of them are just sort of one hit wonders, uh, and anytime you get replication and replication from independent sources, then you start really kind of putting more and more confidence in the in the veracity of the results. So you know we'll we'll see what happens with that. Um, you know Lowry, I've I've never actually met him. I, I've I've met J- uh, Jacob Jacob Wilson twice of. Hung out with him at the Norway conference twice. He's literally one of the nicest people I've ever met. <laughs> and he's extremely smart too. And so, um, but it, this is just one of those one of those things, you know, where uh, we we just have to cast the old peer review pen out there and 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 uh, use skepticism and and ask questions. Mm. Uh, thank you for going into that um, and very well diplomatically uh, navigated. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, if people want to get in touch with you, um, they should text you on 818 324 Just kidding. Just kidding. Oh, I knew you were kidding. <laughs> Although you've got a uh, hundred chances to get it right now, guys. Um, <laughs> okay um, here's a question a bit of a deep one but I wanted to ask and actually Steve wanted to ask I was chatting with him yesterday Steve Hall how is the pressure of having all of these really smart youngsters come up in the industry and yeah c- c- coming up in the industry biting at your heels I've never had any negative feelings toward that. Uh, not me personally. I mean, every time my wife sees a new research review crop up, she gets pissed off. But I, I, <laughs> I try to tell her, I say, hey, you know, all this is going to do is force me to raise my own game, 
so I can uh, keep up and perhaps even surpass these genius students of mine. You know, uh, um, it's funny because Brett Contreras talks about how his intern, former intern Andrew Vygotsky, is just <laughs> he, he he saw him through being a student to becoming smarter than him and uh and that's really kind of a triumph you know for you to be able to facilitate that i i feel like uh if i was able to groom a a an upcoming generation of people to do brilliant work then a big part of my job is done you know uh i i'm certainly not going to be around forever and so leaving a legacy of people with um an obsessive degree of, of diligence and integrity, I think that's actually a, a really good thing. So, so yeah, that's how I would answer that. Nice. That's how I feel too. Um, Ken, who you met the once, he'll be coming to the fitness summit this year. Um, he started off with me five and a half years ago and, um, he didn't know anything. He was about nutrition at that point or training at that point, but he's grown to be, the best translator um, of this information in Japan. He has the ear of all of the guys at the best universities. They all read our Japanese website. Um, he's he's by far surpassed me. Um, mm. He's a brain, and it's inspiring to see. And I now find myself being careful about what I say before I say it to Ken. <laughs> wondering whether I'm wrong and I'm even more careful about when I publish on my website thinking wow if Ken sees that I've got this wrong then that does not set a good example <laughs> <laughs> well you know I, I look back at the, the how my research review has evolved and really over the last five years I feel like it's gotten significantly better um, and I, I owe a lot of that to the competition and uh, it's it's always a good thing it's almost like you, you think about it like this there, there's no way there can be one car company in the US for example you know it's it's actually pretty cool that you've got you know General Motors and, and you got Ford competing and then you got the you know you got Honda and and, and freaking Toyota and Mercedes and and the rest of the guys coming into the fray it's really uh, there's something for everybody as far as the, the cream of the crop goes. And so all of us are going to have our different takes on the different research, our different interpretation of it. And we're also going to uh, impart different practical takeaways based on our own experience and based on how we see things. So it's never a bad thing. You know, if, if, if there's some products that are competing with me or, you know, services, research reviews, whatever that suck, well, they're eventually not going to last and they're going to be gone. Uh, the good ones are going to stick around. And as far as I'm concerned, that is a good thing for the field. I'd have to agree. You walk into any supermarket or, um, I don't know, do we still have bookstores? Um, but you see all the fitness magazines. They're still being printed. People are still buying them. There is absolutely a market for it. We're not getting any leaner and more jacked. There is no magic pill yet. Yes. <laughs> so. Right. Yes, we're, we're not in competition with each other. We're in competition with the kind of the mainstream quick fix nonsense, right? Yes, we are. We are. And it's the story, 
quick story about uh, when I was doing my um, my seminars in the UK. I remember Martin McDonald was in 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 the audience in 2014, and uh, I you know I wasn't aware that uh, I generally am not aware of what's going on in the UK anyway. But um, Martin has come to build quite the quite the educational empire. And uh, it's really amazing to see how he was in the seminar audience in 2014, and now he's planning something for his graduating students of uh, Mac Nutrition University uh, at the end of the, this year. So uh, it, it just it actually makes me really happy to see these, uh, in quotes, the, the upstarts who have been stu- who, who have been following my work just really come up in the industry. So um, if there's anything that I would want to emphasize, it's that I really, it really makes me feel good to see people develop and um, put out their own epic stuff, even if it's within uh, my same uh, market space, because it's a big enough market for everybody to put out good stuff and, um, you know, make a, make, a, make a really good impact without any sort of uh, sacrifice to their own quality of life or whatever, or whatever, you know, people might be afraid of as far as competition goes. Um, let's, let's wrap this up here. I want to be conscious of your time and you've already given me, um, way more than, uh, we at first agreed. Um, and I appreciate it. This is good stuff. This is good stuff though, man. Uh, If you could give one piece of advice to young guys, um, let's say that they've just graduated. Um, they're just starting out in the industry. What, what would that be? The, the piece of advice I would give is that you're you're going to be scared and intimidated, but what separates the people who succeed from the people who just languish into nothingness are those who take action in the face of being afraid or being uncertain or being intimidated. Um, So that's what courage is. Courage is taking action in the face of fear. It's impossible to, almost impossible to not have any fear. I I pride myself on being relatively fearless and I think that happens to most people anyway when when you pass 40. You kind of seen it all. <laughs> nothing scares you. Nothing scares you anymore, you know. Um, but I would say that you know, know that you're going to be scared, but also know that you have to make moves. You have to act. You have to execute. You have to put your neck out there, and you have to take risks. There's something I call the illusion of risk. Everything is a risk. Getting out of your bed every day is a risk. Getting out, going outside is a risk. Eating gluten-free products is a risk. Um, yeah, that was a badly placed joke. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I was going to say eating gluten is a risk. That would have probably come off better. But um, you know, you you have to get rid of this false notion that oh, I, I better not try this because it's risky. I would say that you know the that you really and truly the only way that you can develop fully in a professional sense and in the sense of of achieving true success is by putting yourself out there and by taking risks and by taking the falls. And because when you take those falls and you experience the failures, 
that's how you build your learning foundation and that's how you build your strength your thick skin your inward eye to know how to handle future situations you just got to put yourself out there um, you'll be afraid true but try not to be afraid and for for certain don't just do nothing just take the risks and act do in the face of fear that's that's what I would say thank you very much that, that's a great way to end this thank you for your time if people want to reach out to you um, where would you suggest they go obviously alanaragon.com for your your monthly research review um, I've said it publicly many times I'll say it here again it's the best $10 I spend a month that's the cost of two Starbucks coffees in Japan or four Starbucks coffees if you live in the States um, <laughs> where else could people get you well I appreciate the plug Andy uh, yeah that that would be the best way to go is alanaragon.com or you can search me out on Facebook I, I'll occasionally have spots open to you know for friend friend requests and stuff like that but uh i've, I've recently started instagramming um, <laughs> me too <laughs> I <don't understand>. I, <laughs> and so i started you know posting just random random ridiculous things on instagram and it's uh what's your handle uh it's the alan aragon that's my Instagram handle. And that same with Twitter is the Alan Aragon. Some asshole has Alan Aragon, you know, so he's, he's, he's relegated me to kind of coming off egotistical. But, but yeah, that wasn't my choice. It's the Alan Aragon on Instagram. And it's alanaragon.com for the hub of everything. And, uh, and then you can search me out on Facebook. That Facebook is probably where I'm uh, most active. That's where all the adults are. Um, so... Yeah, Snapchat. No, I don't. I don't even have a Snapchat account. I don't know if I ever will. Maybe one, you know, one of my brilliant students will come to me and say, "Alan, you know, you're really shooting yourself in the foot by not having a Snapchat." I know that Luke Johnson certainly would. But, but yeah, it, it would be either Facebook or AlanAragon.com. And if I were to put in a direct plug for my baby, my research review, it's AlanAragon.com/slash/aarr. And what I would say here is, and this is a nice little hack, you should probably close this loophole, but while it's still open, you can take advantage of it. You, if you subscribe, so it's $10 to subscribe. And you could sack this off the next month even, not that you want them to do that. And I'm sorry for even putting that idea, idea in people's minds, but you get all of the back issues. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, you, you do. And I've been called stupid for not making it be a thing where you don't. But that's I'm old school in a lot of ways. And uh, I, I appreciated uh, the journals where I could subscribe, like the yeah, academic journals where I could subscribe and have issues to the uh, access to the archives. Mm. Um, I just feel that that's that's kind of what people what people want you know that's what what people would really appreciate so that's how i have it set up for the time being <laughs> it's an education if you want to have an education you can go back read all the way from the start um get your pdf set um highlight make notes um go through all of the different months um that will give you a really <laughs> pretty good sports nutrition education um just 
by itself. And also, it's taught me how to critically look at research. I know that's not the intention, but by watching how you approach research papers, I've learned how to look at research papers as well. It's been really useful. I'm very glad to hear that, Andy. And um, once again, you know, thanks for, for mentioning the research review and uh, it's really appreciated. I will be seeing you uh, May the 5th in Kansas City. 5th, 6th, 7th, I think it is. Um, it's called The Fitness Summit. Um, yep. And if anyone listening wants to come and hang out, you can join about 150 other uh, others of us. The whole industry is going to be there. This one's great because... It's a mix. It's a mix of bros, science guys, and hippies. <laughs> and we're all to stay at the same hotel, go to the same venue. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, we we all we all amazingly we all get along. Yeah. So. And you say bros is there's, there's women there. Bro, why I say bros? Bros is the collective for bros and broettes. We mean all all. Um, all the sexes, all the sexes. Oh, right, right. I, I know a lot of women who are bros. Yeah. I, I, a lot of my uh, female colleagues are, are bros and they know who they are. So yeah, what's, up, bro? what's up, bros? <laughs> nice. Uh, Alan, uh, t- thank you for your time. I'm very much appreciated. We'll call it there. You got it, my man. Thank you so much for inviting me on. That's the show for this week. You'll find links to everything Alan and I talked about in the show notes on the site. If you have any questions for either of us, you can just go to ripbody.com forward slash podcast and I'll set up a link to the Facebook post sharing this where we'll both be happy to answer questions. Hopefully, this is just the first half of the interview. Alan and I actually talked for another hour about BCAs versus whey when training fasted after this. Um, We're going to do our best to clean up the rambling audio for you and get that out as another episode. At the minimum, a blog post uh, explaining Alan's thoughts on that. You can find Alan Aragon on Twitter and Instagram with at the Alan Aragon. And you can find me on Instagram at Andy underscore ripped body. Now, I appreciate you giving us your ear, but... Listening without any action is not going to get you any closer to your physique goals. So make sure you are applying what you are learning. Now, I've spent the last six years coaching people online and then writing up free nutrition and training guides on the site. So if you haven't been there already, please head over to ripbody.com. If you have any questions, you're free to ask me in the comments. I've answered nearly 20,000 of them. And when you're ready to dig a little deeper, you'll see that I've co-authored a couple of books on nutrition and training setup. And I've written one as well on dietary adjustments. If you put the effort in, I'm here for you. And one small request, um, if you haven't left a review on iTunes yet, it'll only take a few seconds on your phone right now, and a five-star review will really help the show out. Thank you. Catch you next time.